Welcome to another episode of In A Nutshell, the podcast of Natural Gas World that looks at the news and trends unfolding in the global gas industry. Uh, With me today is Steve Esau, General Manager at LNG Bunkering Association, CLNG. Hi, Steve. Thanks for being here. Hi, Joseph. Uh, A pleasure to be with you. Uh, So shipping is often described as a conservative industry, um, and it is also one that will be challenging uh, to decarbonize. Um, so for many decades, fuel oil has, of course, been the dominant fuel for shipping. But um, you're starting to see LNG make some uh, significant inroads into the market um, as ship owners are adop- ad- adopting it to reduce their emissions. Um, so maybe a good starting point, Steve, could you outline CLNG's view on the emission savings that can be brought about by using LNG as a bunkering fuel um, and any other benefits to using it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think um, one thing to realize is that LNG has been used as a fuel for about 50 years in in the maritime sector um, in in LNG carriers. So that's something that people forget, perhaps not in the gas industry, but certainly in the shipping industry. So it's a you know, proven pro, proven maritime fuel. There are established guidelines uh, to to regulate its its safe operation. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's effectively an established solution. Um, but I mean, the the, the the driver for the uptake of LNG as a marine fuel more broadly was um, were um, increasingly stringent environmental re- regulations, particularly on emissions of SOx um, mm-hmm. or, or, or sulfur dioxides. Um, and um, these were introduced by the IMO in, in, in concern around uh, health issues for sort of primarily poor communities. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, from uh, a local emissions um, perspective, um, uh, LNG uh, reduces um, SOX emissions to levels which are almost negligible. Um, uh, it's incredibly clean burning fuel. Um, and um, also the same for both particular. For particular matter and, and, and black carbon, which is increasingly an area of uh, concern. And mm-hmm. NOx, tradition, NOx emissions also can be reduced by about up to about 95%. So, an incredibly clean burning fuel. Um, mm-hmm. Increasingly, greenhouse gases are on the agenda, and not, not um, obviously globally, but also um, uh, uh, impacting the shipping industry. And here, mm-hmm. LNG. Um, provide immediate greenhouse gas reduction. So we um, uh, estimate make these as up to 23% on a, on a well complete a life cycle well to weight basis so called mm-hmm. but also up to about 30% in the in the, in the combustion cycle. Okay thanks. Um, of course there's a lot of studies on on how much of a emission saving um, LNG uses. I mean I've I've come across many of the studies that have been published on your website, but there are there are other studies that, that reach different conclusions. Um, why do you think there's such a, there seems to be quite a broad range of conclusions about how to, the extent for LNG is clean. Why why do you think that is the case? Um, well, I, I, I don't want to necessarily comment on some of the motives that um, certain organizations 
from me may have for putting out inform, uh, information, but um, we, we recognized this confusion when we initially set up um, CLNG and we sought to address this. And the way in which we um, did so was to say, okay, let's bring together all the major uh, engine manufacturers. And to be clear, these engine manufacturers manufacture LNG fueled engines, they manufacture um, uh, oil based engines, they're looking at you know al uh, other alternative fuels. So they don't have vested interest as such in LNG, but we asked them to, to um, give us um, primary data on um, their, uh, the emissions of LNG in, their, um, in the engines they were marketing and com comparative numbers for uh, their oil-based engines as well. Uh, we, got a, um, uh, we employed a life cycle ex expert, widely recognized, Thingstep at the time, uh, now Sphera, mm -hmm. to conduct the analysis. Um, and we had the analysis conducted according to um, ISO standards. So there are very strict guidelines for doing these sorts of studies, for, uh, these LCA studies. And mm -hmm. the study was independently reviewed by academic experts on LCA study on LCA analysis, also on um, uh, engine technologies in Europe, from Europe, America, and Japan. So mm -hmm. this was the most definitive piece of work. And, and to be clear, what the way in which what we did was ask the question: just go away, look at, gather the data, look at it, and tell us what the results are. Um, and um, the results were, as, as I've stated, that um, LNG provides significant um, greenhouse gas benefits. This includes methane slip, so we're very careful to include all greenhouse gases, not just uh, uh, and not um, just um, just CO2. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at some of the other studies out there, what you tend to find is that they're based. When you really drill down into them, they're based on out-of-date engine technology, so um, up to sort of 10 years old. They're based on studies on engines which were predominantly low-pressure four-stroke engines, which um, for whom methane slip and consequently greenhouse gas emissions have a, are subsequently higher that were operating in, um, in uh, short-sea shipping operations. Mm -hmm. So very particular engine technologies, 10 years old, and in very limited operating circumstances and mm -hmm. based on a very small number of data points. Um, and uh, um, those numbers are, you know, uh, uh, continue to be presented as the, as the sort of, um, if you like, as numbers which are comparable to our study. But if you look into the data, you realize clearly they are, uh, you know, uh, they, 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 you know, again represent an analysis on very old engine technologies under limited circumstances. Mm -hmm. Focusing on the methane uh, slip, how how do ship owners, how, how do researchers accurately um, quantify how how much methane slip there is when LNG is used as a fuel? Um, obviously there's a big you know global debate about uh, methane emissions in general and how um, you know the measurement issue is a very important one. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, all um, comparative um, studies are based on, um, you know, rigorous test, test bed data. Uh, increasingly, I think there you'll see um, uh, um, some operational studies being being performed because the industry recognizes the necessity of, of, of doing that. But I think the, the key message 
um, behind methane slip is, is the, you know, if you if you look at it, what it represents to a ship owner is waste. So they're actually wasting fuel. So there are clear commercial incentives for on on the ship owner and consequently on the engine manufacturers to to actually make those engines more efficient, i.e., burn <laughs> burn any of those residual amounts of methane that are escaping in the exhaust gases. And also with the increasing focus, the engine manufacturers um, are actually uh, and have been um, in the process of um, uh, evolving their technology. So I think when the first they've reduced over the period of the past 15 or so years, methane emissions, this is from the, the worst performing um, engines by about um, uh, fourfold. Mm -hmm. And they're on track essentially to um, completely address methane emissions by um, to zero by about 2030. Um, mm -hmm. And so already uh, uh, you can buy um, uh, uh, energy fueled engines which have effectively no no methane slip. So the technology is right. already, and, and you're seeing the ship owners, um, you know, buying those technologies. Mm -hmm. Would you say that LNG is a transition or a destination fuel for shipping? Um, well, LNG is a hydrocarbon, so when you burn it, you get CO2. So if we're looking to head to zero emissions, then you know you have the, clearly there's a challenge. But our, our view is, is that you know LNG is, if you like, a fuel in transition. So you can make investments in LNG um, fuel vessels in the actual bunkering infrastructure now um, and you can decarbonize the fuel by the use of bio LNG and subsequently synthetic LNG as a, as a dropping fuel. Um, bio LNG is already available in Northwest Europe. It's you can you can go to the market. Uh, there are quotes there, you know, uh, for, for bio LNG for bunkering. And um, I think last week synthetic LNG, the first first bunker load of synthetic LNG was uh, uh, successfully bunkered at a, an event in Brunsbuttel. Um, Container, container feeder feeder vessel, which uh, I actually attended that event. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, so, so, the, so the, it, 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 there, there's a clear pathway starting with LNG um, uh, to a, a zero emiss, zero emissions destination. And the IMO regulations that came came into force in uh, 2020. That 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 was a very good thing for LNG adoption. You know. It was, yeah. driving adoption. Um, is there a risk though that new regulation coming in over the years might undermine LNG? Um, I guess what I'm saying is to what extent is LNG fu future proof uh, to increasingly strict emiss emissions regulations? Um, well, again, as uh, clearly, <laughs> um, the secret of any good, good, any good regulation is to provide certainty for investment. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I would start with that. Uh, and I can't really com com comment on, you know, how regulations may or may not develop, except with the general observation that the direction of travel is to, to, is to um, uh, um, uh, reduce uh, greenhouse gases. Um, but um, our view is that any regulation should be goal-based and technology neutral. And um, uh, again, our view is, is that 
there isn't likely to be one single solution for maritime um, in the future. There are likely to be a sort of basket of options ranging from, you know, um, synthetic fuels such as hydrogen, such as potentially ammonia, once the challenges associated with those fuels have been addressed, but such as mm -hmm. synthetic LNG. Um, uh, so, and as I've, I think I hope I've explained that by investing in LNG now, you're able to make an immediate greenhouse gas reduction, um, mm -hmm. uh, which will be which uh, which regulations essentially incentivize. And there's a pathway to using um, bio and synthetic forms of the fuel. So um, yeah, I I I, I uh, um, I'd say LNG gives you optionality for the for the future. Mm -hmm. You should also should also recognise increasingly. So for example, LNG is burned in dual fueled engines. So dual fueled engines yeah. give you optionality, additional optionality. So currently the optionality is between um, uh, fossil fuel LNG and say fossil fuel marine gas oil. Um, mm -hmm. But in the future, you may that engine you can burn again. As I said, in increasing quantities of bio LNG, synthetic LNG, you could burn um, uh, synthetic or bio biodiesel. Um, so it, it it provides a lot of optionality, which essentially gives you a degree of you know insurance against uh, regulatory regulatory flux. And I think increasingly, if we if we even look at where the engine manufacturers are looking, because they recognise this issue with regulatory flux, they're seeing the sort of further development of these dual fuel engines to 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 be able to deal with more than say just two fuels as a mm -hmm. sort of potential solution in, in the future. Okay, so you you said you you see the future uh, shipping fuel mix being a basket of different fuels. Yeah. Um, about the other options um, other than LNG, so hydrogen, ammonia um, for reducing emissions. Obviously those technologies aren't quite there yet. Um, what are the main challenges that need to be overcome with using these fuels? Well, uh, ammonia is, is that you, I think you have a, a couple of challenges. One is you need to build the actual um, production and and supply infrastructure, and the bunkering infrastructure. Mm -hmm. The other is the actual engine technologies themselves. Um, so if you look at ammonia, um, it, it, there are some the, the the beauty, if you like, the beauty of ammonia is it's nitrogen and hydrogen. So if you burn it, there's no CO2. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's why I think people like nitrogen, uh, ammonia as, a, as an energy carrier. But then if you dig down beneath the surface and you look at um, the challenges that the engine technology manufacturers are facing with in relation to ammonia are that, so for example, with ammonia, it, it, it's not very flammable. So um, uh, you're going to need a lot of pilot fuel to actually get it going. And um, I think up to about 20% has to be pilot fuels. What is that pilot fuel? Um, so usually pilot fuel is diesel, so um, <laughs> you have a bit of a challenge there. Mm -hmm. You have a challenge around, um, again, for ammonia that in terms of uh, NOx emissions, because you're burning nitrogen, uh, a, a, a compound that contains nitrogen, hydrogen. So they're going to be significant NOx, NOx emissions. They're also N2O emissions, and N2O as a, as a greenhouse gas is, is much, much worse than methane, and that needs to be addressed. 
and then there are potential issues of um, uh, how you handle and burn ammonia completely because ammonia is it's, 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 it's highly toxic so you've got all these um, issues to deal with ammonia um, relating to the, en the engine technology and also its safe handling as a fuel in, in potentially in port communities and also um, if you're sort of thinking about um, simultaneous operation, certainly can't imagine circumstances where cruise line passengers would readily accept ammonia as a fuel. Um, so it, the, 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 there, are, there, are, there are significant challenges associated with that. With hydrogen, again, there are significant safety issues around um, its flammability. It's highly, highly flammable, highly flammable, and the fact that it has incredibly poor energy density, so uh, it takes up a lot of space with its massive cryogenic tanks on the ship. Um, mm -hmm. So each of these technologies, and we're not saying that they won't happen, but we're saying we're we're suggest we're we're asking the question of when it's get, when they're actually going to be sort of viable maritime maritime technologies, and then you have the question of the of the actual. Um, supply chain itself so um all synthetic fuels and i put hydrogen in that bucket such as you know hydrogen ammonia methanol um synthetic um uh, um uh, methane uh, or synthetic lng they all come from the same feedstock which is green or renewable electricity mm -hmm. uh, so there's a big challenge and if you look at the energy transition as a whole, you see a lot of industries are saying we want uh, to be uh, base our processes on on hydrogen. So where is that green hydrogen going to come from, and when will it be available? And again, I think it, again, it's you can see the solution, but you really need to think about the pathway. So, for example, if we're looking at say for again ammonia-fueled engines, will the fuel be available? If it's not available, I will the green uh, um, fuel produced from renewable electricity be available? If it's not available, then it's going to have to be produced some some way else, and that's incredible. That's likely because it's currently produced from actually natural gas. So um, the actual ammonia-fueled vessel now, fueled with um, ammonia produced from natural gas will have significantly higher emissions than a conventional fossil fuel ship. So you've got to think about the pathway and think about, you know, the maturation of the engine technologies and, and the actual maturation of the supply chain. So it's a it's a very, very tricky challenge. Um, and I guess our view is that, again, with LNG, you can start going now with immediate greenhouse gas reductions. You've got all the infrastructure what you need to do is increasingly develop that, build out the uh, bioenergy and synthetic energy um, uh, uh, production capability, which you can then put in the existing infrastructure and ships. Mm -hmm. And can you respond to the recent, um, well, the World Bank report earlier this year, um, which essentially urged um, against any further investment in LNG bunkering uh, infrastructure, arguing that it, you know, locks in fossil fuel use for for too long um yeah i mean I, I would say with that study um is that um again you look at the evidence base 
which they and they have the methane emission methane slip as being a reason why um, the industry shouldn't move to LNG. You look at the evidence base for that that they're drawing on, and again, it comes back to my earlier comments that it's uh, I would say um, uh, uh, outdated. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't recognize that tr transitional um, pathway that I've described through bio LNG and synthetic LNG. And I think specifically with bio LNG, there are, um, there's a train of thought which suggests that um, availability is going to be limited and it's going to be very expensive. Um, we asked C. Delft, it's a well-respected uh, research organization uh, based in the Netherlands, um, to look at this. and. Um, uh, again, just ask the simple question: So, how much how much bioenergy is there, and, and how much is it going to cost? Um, so, in terms of availability, their analysis suggested that sustainable biomass could provide um, uh, enough biomethane to um, supply multiples more than uh, ship, the shipping industry's current current energy, energy demand. Uh, clearly. Mm -hmm. Biomethane production for shipping won't be the only draw on that biomass, but there's a lot of biomass out there. Sustain, and this is biomass which is sustainable biomass, importantly. Um, and then in terms of price, you see some very interesting, strange estimates that are being put out by, uh, um, if you like, uh, organisations like the World Bank. But you see, BioLNG is currently. Uh, available on the market now at prices which are more expensive than, than conventional marine fuels, but not um, uh, to the extent that are suggested by um, organisations like Global Bank. Mm -hmm. And one of the main selling points um, for LNG as a shipping fuel is that it is affordable. Um, but obviously, we've we're going through a very unusual period right now um, where you know gas prices are exceptionally high um, and could even get higher if if depending on how cold the winter is um, has this kind of has this in some way shaken the image of LNG as an affordable option um, and is LNG market volatility a factor uh, that will impact ship owners? Uh, engine choices? Um, I think if you're look, if you're investing in a ship, you're investing in an asset that's sort of a long-lived asset, you know, 20 to 30 years. So mm -hmm. um, clearly people will be influenced by what's the price today. But generally, uh, when they're looking at these things soberly, they look at, you know, what, what is their expectation of long-term price of their, of their fuel. And mm -hmm. structurally, if you look at LNG, it's been on an energy equivalent basis. It has historically been um, significantly lower than oil you know, for the past, I know, number of decades. So yes, there are some, you know, particularly there are some particularly unusual circumstances at the moment. But our view is, is that that structural it'll revert to that sort of, um, if you like, that structural mean in, 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 the, in the in the medium to to, to long term. And you should also notice, and this comes back to, um, I think, uh, the point that these are dual fuel engines. So what you're seeing is, is that um, uh, at the moment, and, and most, I think, a, a large proportion of um, uh, owners who've invested in LNG fuel ships have 
um, they're not buying spot, they're, buy, they're buying under long-term contracts, they've agreed with the, the big LNG mm-hmm. suppliers. Um, so that, what does that actual price mean at the moment mm-hmm. to them and their fuel costs? But those, sure, those, sure. those owners who are more exposed, you know, have the ability to burn um, marine gas oil, which at the moment is cheaper on an energy equivalent basis. So that dual fuel engine gives them the optionality to do that, and they're, and they're doing that where where the where the where the fuel costs um, are um, in uh, uh, in marine gas oil's favour. Mm-hmm. And looking forwards, geographically, where do you see the biggest uh, growth potential for for LNG? Um, I guess you're probably going to say Europe and Asia. Um, and the trade in between. Um, what about other areas of the world as well? And you know, the Americas, Africa, and is there a lack of investment there that's you know kind of holding back LNG's potential in shipping? Yeah. So I would say um, where where you see if you if you think about um, the shipping industry and you look at where because LNG on a on a energy equivalent basis we've done various commercial studies on this, um, it, because it is structurally cheaper than, than, than fuel oil, than the fuel oils, you look at where um, uh, where most of that energy is used in the shipping industry, and that's in the deep sea shipping um, business, and particularly in, 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 you know, in sectors like the container sector where, um, you know, you've got high, um, you've, you've got um, essentially high speeds because of, you know, just in time operations. So, and, and I think if we look at the fuel consumption pattern globally, then about 70% of um, fuel is burned in the, in the deep sea, in deep sea shipping operations. So we see it being a fuel mm-hmm. that primarily focused on the deep sea. Um, I think, and again, if we look, look, try and gaze into a crystal ball, what you can see are some of the other alternative fuels, low emission alternative fuels, um, uh, being um, as LNG was initially piloted in short sea shipping on on inland waterways, and there you can see so the challenge you know for hydrogen is less because you know it takes up a lot of space. But if you're only doing short journeys, then you can have small tanks essentially, mm-hmm. or you could use some sort of battery electric system on ferries. So you can start seeing this sort of you know horses for courses uh, type of um, uh, uh, thing uh, things that. Um, uh, um, situation emerging. And then in terms of what does that mean for the bunkering infrastructure? Well, uh, again, we've LNG is, is development of LNG is happening around those big deep sea, those ports which serve those big deep sea shipping operations um, outside um, its sort of birthplace in North and North, North, Northwest Europe. <coughs> so I think in the, the top 10 bunkering ports globally, I think nine or 10 either now uh, offer LNG um, as a marine fuel or, or have firm plans to, to do so. Um, so you've seen the, the development of bunkering infrastructure primarily initially in Northwest Europe. You're now seeing it developing in the US. I think there are about 12, 12 ports now, which mm-hmm. again either offer or in the process of uh, uh, looking to offer LNG as a marine fuel. You're seeing it happen in Asia, particularly, you know, Singapore's an obvious example, China, um, Korea, Japan, um, all associated with those major, major, major trade routes. And I think um, a bunkering operation is scheduled to actually 
uh, come into operation uh, near Port Elizabeth, so right on the, 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 the tip of Africa. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, in the, uh, either later this year or early next year. So yeah, you're seeing the spread out of uh, of the bunkering, bunkering infrastructure. Um, yeah. Okay, and uptake is is very high right now. Um, there was a Clarkson's report recently uh, saying that a third of new vessel orders by tonnage were were now you know capable of running on LNG. Um, how great a share of the shipping market could LNG eventually get gain? Uh, you're really looking, uh, asking me to look at the look, look at my crystal wall. But um, I think um, yeah. I'll, I'll start short term. <laughs> so DNV have done, you know, uh, have quite a comprehensive database on LNG fuel vessels, uh, uh, mm -hmm. uh, both in operation and also um, under construction and. Uh, if you look at the data that they um, put out, uh, essentially they're, they're saying um, by 2024, uh, G fuel consumption could be about 5 million tonnes. This is outside the carrier fleet. Um, mm -hmm. uh, um, so, uh, and the shipping industry's total demand is around about 300 million tonnes. Um, but you have to recognise that with LNG, you get more bang for your bucks. So a ton of LNG contains more more energy than a ton of, uh, say, uh, fuel oil. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, and so that's growing, growing pretty rapidly. Um, then again, you look at um, scenarios produced by various organisations, and you can see LNG uptake potentially, and then again, driven these scenarios driven by um, regulations at the uh, uh, at the IMO level. Um, getting to around about 50% um, by 2040, um, and um, by 2050, again, recognizing what I said, LNG is a fossil fuel, and if we have a zero emissions target, you can see that sort of um, LNG, um, bio-LNG synthetic mix being at around about 30%, for example. I mean, these, these are just scenarios produced, and the scenarios mm -hmm. are some scenarios produced by DNV, so uh, I'm sure there are many other scenarios um, uh, out there that you can you can look at, but yeah, I, I think we again coming back to the point, it will be there will be a basket of fuels. We think LNG and its um, bio and synthetic cousins will have uh, be a, a significant part of that basket um, in the medium to long term. Okay, well, thank you very much, Steve, and um, this has been another episode of In a Nutshell the podcast of Natural Gas World that looks at the news and trends unfolding in the global gas industry. Thank you for tuning in and see you next time. Bye.